Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. So if this is not a short sermon, I have no excuse because this is the shortest psalm in our Bible. And it's the clearest example of what is called a psalm of praise. See, there are various categories of psalms. There's psalms of lament. There's protest psalms against God. There's thanksgiving psalms. There's royal psalms. There's pilgrimage psalms. Uh, and then there are what's called Psalms of Praise. This summer, we're going to camp out in the Psalms of Praise. I want to encourage you to view this summer as our summer of circumstance-denying praise. Defying praise. Not denying, goodness gracious, that's not what I want to say. Circumstance-defying praise. And we're going to allow the Psalms of praise to show us the way. And so I want to read uh, this morning from Psalm 117. As I said, it won't take long, probably one breath, uh, but Hebrew scholar once said, this tiny psalm is great in faith and its reach is enormous. So you can follow along as I read and then we'll pray. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And so, Lord, we do praise you this morning. And we ask that you would speak through your word and show us Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray this. Amen. Well, it's just about every time this uh, year, around this time, that I feel the urge to sort of sign up for a race of some kind, like a half marathon or something. And so usually the first thing that I do is I search the internet for a running plan. And if you've seen these before, they usually come in three offerings, basic, intermediate, and advanced. And who wants to admit they're basic, right? And so inevitably I use the immediate or the advanced plan, and about three weeks in, lo and behold, I start to feel some pain in my knee. What's going on there? See, in my life, what I do is I tend to run past what is basic, I do this with everything. I think we all do this. That's why there's books called Everything I Needed to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten. That, that, that book exists because of this tendency. That's why there's a simplicity movement going on in America. We all recognize that there's something wrong when we run past the basics. And it's easy to neglect the basics of life. And the problem is that when we do this, we can also lose them altogether. Uh, So students of human behavior have a phrase for this. They call it skill decay. Here's a literal textbook definition for this. Quote, skill decay refers to the loss or decay of trained or acquired skills or knowledge after a period of non-use. 
So this can happen to a language you learned in college, amen, anybody? This can happen uh, to your backhand in tennis, uh, if you're me. This can basically be the skill of having non-awkward conversation after a long period of non-use, a.k.a. 2020. Uh, But this can also happen spiritually. One thing Psalm 117 is clear about is that praise is basic. One thing that the Psalms are clear about is that praise, praising God, is basic. Something that the Scriptures are clear about is that praise is basic. It's central to what it means to walk with God. But sometimes we lose this. And this can be for all kinds of reasons. I think sometimes we neglect the centrality of praise because it feels too basic. It's 2-101, and so we read books on all kinds of theological topics. We pursue uh, important and complex issues in life, but we neglect praise because it's simply too basic, we think. Or it's just like breathing. We don't pay attention to it because it's just, it's just what you do, and we, and we just assume that's what you do, but we don't focus on it, and so we lose it. I think we neglect praise sometimes because it feels insincere. Let me know if this resonates with you. When life is hard, your heart feels like a desert wasteland. It can feel insincere to praise, to praise God. And so philosophers have called our era the era of expressive individualism, which is the idea that we're most alive as individuals when we feel that we are expressing ourselves authentically. And so this sort of idea that we're sort of, this water that we're swimming in will just inform us, often by default, and we don't check it, that if we don't feel like praise, then we're not going to praise. I think another reason we could neglect praise is because it feels desperate. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of us might neglect praise because it feels like God is sort of desperate for praise. And this was actually C.S. Lewis's major hang-up. The author and the writer and the professor, C.S. Lewis, when he started going to church again as a young adult after signing off on God for a while, uh, the one thing he most struggled with is that he struggled with praise. He struggled with praise. He thought that God came off emotionally unhealthy and needy in the scriptures. (laughs) Praise me. Praise me. Hey, praise me. Hey, praise me. Praise me. And, uh, and he's sort of kind of like what we would say about somebody who's desperate for followers on Twitter. It's kind of like, what? Really? Why do you keep saying that? And we're going to talk more about that, why God does that. But maybe you're like Lewis and you neglect praise because you feel like it's divine desperation. Maybe we neglect praise because it feels tone deaf. Uh, maybe you've been having a terrible time and a, a good meaning friend comes to you, a brother and sister in Christ comes to you and says, well, praise the Lord. That's what you need. You need to praise the Lord. And so we neglect praise because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings or perhaps we were implicitly taught that it's incorrect to praise God when you're having a hard time. There could be more reasons. I just throw those out there. But despite all these, the Bible is clear. Like praise is central. It's absolutely fundamental to the life of a Christian. It's like like neglecting praise of God is like not drinking water. We're made for it, and if we stop praising the Lord, we will die of thirst. So if you're like me, we need to recover the centrality of praise in the Christian life, in our life. 
this past year, I don't know, may have pushed praise to the margin of your life. But it needs to be at the center. And so how can Psalm 117, this tiny psalm, help us recover the centrality of praise? Well, I want to just say two words, define and defy. We'll start with define. Define. Let's allow this psalm to define praise properly. See, I'm afraid too many times we have a narrow view of what praise is. And so we actually neglect it. So let's define it. First thing I want to say is that praise is an invitation to joy. The word used in this psalm when it says praise is hallel. Hallel, which according to Ron Allen, quote, is the Hebrew equivalent of whatever you say when you're watching a football game and your team has just scored the winning points. This word is what a nursing student says in coming out of an anatomy exam with an A grade. Uh, This is the word of any experience calling for excited boasting or joyful expression. Hallel. And this actually helps with C.S. Lewis's observation, his objection to praise. Remember, when he became a Christian, he hated praise because, and he hated psalms like this. He struggled with them uh, because God seemed needy in them. But when he realized that human praise is actually human joy, it changed his mind and his heart. See, here's the thing. Humans are praising all the time. They praise things they find lovely. I praise certain albums. You can come to me afterwards. I'll tell you what those are. Because they bring me joy. I praise certain athletes because they bring me joy when they're on the field. I praise certain books because they bring me joy. And so on. You've, you've heard me praise all this stuff before. That's what we do. I know you all do it as well. And the same goes for God. He is the source of all that is lovely. And so when we see that, when our hearts are, in other words, unlocked to actually see his beauty, then what happens? We praise, we have joy. So imagine you and your friends are are driving uh, past the Grand Canyon, something I've never seen. I've seen glorious things, but I picked the Grand Canyon. And you're on your phone scrolling Twitter, right when when you're looking at, at, at Grand Canyon, or you're playing like Fortnite or something on your phone. And, and salvation, okay, is like God taking your eyes off your phone and onto the Grand Canyon. That's salvation in a way. He's unlocking your eyes and your heart to see His beauty. He's not needy. He's gracious. When God tells us to praise Him, He's not being needy. He's basically inviting us into true joy. When our hearts are so stubbornly satisfied with lesser joys. It's a grace. And so praise is an invitation to joy. Number two, praise is an invitation to mission. See, notice in the first verse uh, that this psalm invites all nations to praise. And all peoples, that word there is all tribes. We see this in Revelation later, Revelation 7. We preached on this a couple weeks ago. In other words, the... The they, the nations, the Gentiles, the those that aren't Israelites, become the us in verse 2. For great is his steadfast love towards us. The they become us. How? The other nations, the other tribes, the other languages, the other cultures become us in the Lord. That's how. In other words, Israel's worship is and always has been missional. 
The worship of the Lord does not exist just for us. It never has been that reason. It exists so that others may join in. Revelation 7-9 is the fulfillment of this song, actually, where we see every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the Lord together because of His grace, when every nation and tribe is worshiping Jesus. And I think this psalm, therefore, helps us avoid two errors. And I got this from Derek Kidner. What, would, what we could call the tribalist error on the one hand and the relativist error on the other hand. So the tribalist error is when we think that our faith is just for us. This is our thing. And we're here in a parking lot doing our thing. This is our tribe. No, the nations are invited to worship with us. He is not some tribal deity. He's the universal God and creator of all. That is the tribalist error. I think it helps us avoid the relativist error. On the other hand, when we think that sort of all gods and all pathways of God are essentially the same with the same end. That's sometimes uh, what we think and what we hear. But no, here we see that God's people must invite others into true worship. This psalm is, in other words, a pretty heavy claim that the God of Israel is the God of the world. And it's Israel's unique calling to worship and to praise the world into praise as well, a joint praise. So praise is an invitation to mission. It just is. Which is why, as a church, hope we always want to view this time of of worship as a time of mission. Thirdly, praise is an invitation to bring our whole life. And this is important. Sometimes we neglect praise because I think we reduce praise to happiness and joyful feelings. Do you know what I mean? But the biblical idea of praise is not that simple. In fact, the Psalms are not actually called the Psalms in Hebrew. Did you know that? The Psalms in Hebrew, the title given is Tehillim or Tehillim, which is the plural of the word Tehillah which means song of praise. Song of praise. So Tehillim is songs of praise. It's the plural of that. Songs of praise. And this is important because it means that all the emotions that we see in the Psalms are songs of what? Praise. The anger we see in the Psalms, the angst that we see in the Psalms, the disappointment that we see in the songs are Tehillim. Songs of praise. They all praise God just the same. I love how Old Testament scholar Chris Wright says it. We usually think of praise only as something we do when we feel happy or joyful. But for Israel, praise was something far deeper than that. Deeper. I love that. Deeper. Praise could happen even in the darkest of moments. Read Psalm 88. Psalm 88. In fact, especially in those darkest moments, praise can happen. I think too often we neglect praise because we don't feel like it. And rightfully so, we understand that we're having a hard time. We understand that temptation and that feeling. But sometimes praise is more than that. You may not feel like it today to praise God. But praise can still be a practice in your life, a basic practice in your life. I'll talk about C.S. Lewis again. He compares praising God when you don't feel like it to carving um, irrigation channels in the desert. Quote, in order that when at last the water comes, it may find them ready. I like that image. Some of you may be here this morning and you're simply carving an irrigation channel. 
in the desert that is your heart. That's okay. You can still come in praise. That's what your praise is right now. And the water, when it comes, will find a channel. Praise invites your whole life exactly where you are, not just your happiness. So to recover and recenter praise, I think the first step is to define it properly, okay? It's an invitation to joy, it's, a, it's an invitation to mission, and it's an invitation of our whole life. And so let me just ask you, have you neglected praise recently? Do you see praise as central to your life and mission right now? Could it be that you have a narrow view of what praise is and how that works in your life? To recenter praise, I think we need to define praise correctly. But secondly, we need to actually praise. <laughs> Stop talking about it. But actually praise. Uh, and this psalm invites us to actually do that. Do you know the psalms are songs to be sung? They're actually invitations to praise. And uh, this psalm invites us to, I think, defy our circumstances with praise. Whatever your circumstances may be this morning. I mean, our circumstances as a church are sobering as I'm like baking in the sun right now in a parking lot. But I can still praise. Can't I? Yes, I can. I can defy this circumstance with my praise. Whatever you're facing this morning, you can defy that with your praise. See, every psalm of praise has two steps. Number one, there's an invitation to praise. And there's no caveats. There's no like, well, if you're in this situation, don't worry about it today. No, no. Wherever you are, the psalms say, praise the Lord. Okay, that's number one. But number two, the second thing that the psalms of praise have is the why. There's always this, this funny word. The, the word is because. Because. So it says praise the Lord, and then there's always a because. And then underneath that are reasons about our praise, why we can praise. And usually it has to do with God's actions or God's attributes. So if you want to know what the sermon series will be like this summer, we're going to say praise the Lord every Sunday. Spoiler alert. But the reason why we're going to say praise the Lord every Sunday will change and it will be anchored in God's attributes and God's actions. It'll be a very God-centered summer. And as we'll see, uh, the why is, is, is the beauty. It's the beauty. And in verse 2, we're given the reason to praise God. It says, His great steadfast love and His enduring faithfulness. Do you see that in verse 2? This is kind of saying the same thing um, in two different ways, which the Hebrew poets loved to do, by the way. If you're going to understand Hebrew poetry at all, which you should if you're reading your Bible because you come against it a lot, it doesn't go with rhymes. It doesn't sort of rhyme words. It does what's called, it's called like um, uh, thought rhyming, basically, or, or thought connecting. And so you have one line and then you have another line. And those lines interact with each other in beautiful ways. It's called parallelism. And that's what we see here. We see the same thing being said in two different ways. That's wonderful for non-Hebrew speakers because the, it means that the Hebrew poetry can be translated okay and not miss the fundamental sort of big thrust of why it's a poem. That's a side point. I want to call these two things God's prevailing hesed and God's evergreen amet because that's the Hebrew words there. Chesed, which you've heard me talk about a lot. Uh, it sounds like I'm clearing my throat very often when I say this word. And then emet, which is the word for, for faithfulness here or, or truth. These two resources are ours, and they will enable us to defy our circumstances with praise, okay? 
His hesed is greater than your circumstances, number one. His hesed, according to verse 2, is great. And that word here is actually prevails. Which one scholar says is a, quote, vigorous, formidable word used of the stronger side in a battle. So think Ohio State versus Michigan in the past few years. And, uh, or pick your favorite team that's been better than your uh, other team. Uh, it's also used of the, of the waters of the flood which prevail in the book of Genesis. That's his hesed love. I think we've all seen images of a floodwater taking out an entire street or village even um, with cars floating like sticks in the gutter. Have you seen this before? You see how powerful a, a flood can be. I had a friend who survived an undertow by letting the undertow have its way. And that's what you're supposed to do, apparently, by the way. In my lifeguard training, I learned this. If you get caught in an undertow, let the undertow have its way. Even if you're miles out from shore, just let it have its way. It's stronger than you. You won't win. You won't win. The undertow wins. And that's what the psalmist is saying about God's hesed love. It, it wins. It prevails. I don't care what your circumstances are. His unfailing love is, is better and heavier and weightier, more prevailing. It wins. It wins. Your sin doesn't win. Your circumstances, they don't win. How others have sinned against you doesn't win. His has said love wins. His has said love is, is, is prevailing. The psalmist says. Number two, his emit, his faithfulness is more enduring, it's evergreen than your circumstances. This word faithfulness, emit, means God's true to his wordness. And here we sing that his true to his wordness is eternal, it's evergreen, it's going to outlast everything in your life right now. His true to his wordness outlasts every promise you've been made, outlasts every plan that you've made or that other people have made, it's eternal. One scholar says his plans and promises are forever fresh. We tend to be cynical when people lay out plans. We tend to be cynical when people give us promises, don't we? We, we look through them. We're trained to look through them. We're trained by our own bad experiences to look through them. We're trained by our culture to look through them. But with God, it is eternal. You can't look through his plans and promises. There's nothing to look through. It's his emit, his truth. And so praise is often a defiant stance, what I call holy defiance, because there are deep, deep resources, deep, deep within each of us that others may not share with you. Prevailing has said an evergreen emit. Those are yours. Those are yours. When hiking up Yosemite's famous half dome a couple summers ago, many people were turning back. And the reason they were turning back was not because of lack of strength, but because, frankly, lack of water. <laughs> they brought bottles of water, but they were empty, and they didn't have the filtration necessary to sort of keep drinking water and to tap into the many, many rivers that were flowing beside them. So they turned back. But those who had filtration had unending supply. It's all of us in Christ. That's what I want to say. Because we have Christ in us. 
You know, he is, he is the fulfillment of this song. He brings the nations together. He is the yes to all of God's promises. His faithfulness is eternal. When he speaks, what happens? You've seen the Gospels, what happens? When he, when he says, get up, what happens? The person who could not get up gets up. Why? The word of Jesus is true. And we have that. That's our resource. And so we can offer up defiant praise in the midst of our circumstances. When others are unfaithful, unloving, unconcerned, you praise Jesus because of his has said faithfulness. When others are untrue, unreliable, you praise Jesus because of his amet. This is godly defiance. We're defying our circumstances and our enemy with praise. So Lord, would you make this a season of praise for us, a season of defiant praise? Would we offer up ourselves, not just on Sunday morning with our singing, but in all of our life, would we praise you? Would we give you our halal? Would we give you our shout of acclamation? Because what you are doesn't change. Lord, some of us are just digging irrigation ditches, and, and that's okay. Lord, would you, and would you draw near to them in a special way as they're patient with you, as so many saints before them have been? We praise you. May our thoughts even now in this time of, of worship be praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.